Welcome back, folks, to Lords of Order, the DC Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. Any feedback can be sent to the Dr. Fate podcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at the website, bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate. And Lords of Order has pages on Google Plus and Facebook where comments are more than welcome. More Fun Comics Volume 1, Issue 72, dated October 1941, is our book this episode. Scripted by Mr. Gardner Fox, lettered, inked, and penciled by Mr. Howard Sherman. The story is entitled The Forger. This can also, if you don't have a copy of More Fun Comics 72 handy, can be found in the Golden Age Dr. Fate Archives, Issue 1, DC put out in 2007. A couple notable things occurred this episode, uh, excuse me, this issue. First was the first appearance of Dr. Fate's half-mask. Comes down to just at the bridge of his nose, so below his nose to his chin, is now open, whereas he did have a full mask. And Enza's potentially last name is revealed, as in the story she is visiting her grandparents, and her grandparents are named Kramer. Now... The question is, is that her dad's or her mom's grandparents? And since continuing on, she will be referred to historically as Inza Kramer, this must be her dad's parents, because Kramer does indeed become her name. So, Inza is named for the first time. Now we start out, the man of eternal mystery turns the power of his magic and the strength of his great body into a perpetual war against crime and evil of all sordid shapes and sizes, warring in defense of the helpless and oppressed. Now, the cover, again, bears Dr. Fate. The cover bears no resemblance to the story. On the cover, Dr. Fate is atop a surfaced submarine uh, that belongs to the Nazi army, fighting seven different men, explosions going off in the water, a pistol, and two rifles coming to bear against Dr. Fate, who is holding a Nazi over his head with one hand. The story, however, opens up in a private room of the Wayside Tavern, where we have Fingers Beaumont talking to some of his crew about how now that he has gotten out of the pen things are going to be different. He just needs to get a bankroll and then some soldiers and his big plan, his master plan, will take off. We cut to Inza visiting her grandparents. She goes to bed, comes in, says her howdies, goes to bed. We then cut to Dr. Fate where something the narrator tells us here comes up several times. The Wheel of Fate, several times this issue anyways. The Wheel of Fate moves swiftly. In distant Salem, Dr. Fate misses Inza, but keeps in psychic touch with her. That uh, phrase, the Wheel of Fate, is probably used three or four times in this story. Not sure why all of a sudden, but... And we see Fate sitting with his uh, uniform on in a rather ornate chair looking at his ring with no mask on. First time I believe that I can recall that he has appeared thusly as well. 
cut to the local town, which I think a little later in the story they tell us what the name of the town is, but I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, Beaumont, or maybe it's a different town. Beaumont is here, and he's he's explaining his racket. He said, I opened a small account and got some blank checks. Now you and Slim get going, he says to a couple lackeys. They go out to the car, and they look at the car and say, What's the idea of this old pile? It can't do more than 15 miles an hour. Fingers just tells him, Go on, do what I told you to do. Later on, when they realize that the car does work a lot better than it should, uh, according to visual inspection, the driver says, Phew, this baby sure can travel. Fingers is a smart guy. Nobody will ever suspect hick farmers like we're going to be of being crooks. But if we ever have to get away fast, we can. So the car's disguised. Now the plan. They stop before the country mailboxes. It is the first of the month and the bank balances are due. So everyone is getting their uh, balance sheets to, to reconcile against. One of the crooks is at a mailbox and he says, This is a corking racket Fingers has worked out. We borrowed these bank statements and the canceled checks. Copy the wealthy farmer's signatures. And then, next panel, all of them are sitting together working on something. And the one says, um, I'm sorry, looking here, he's, he's signing something. And he says, we get some kid to cash this for us, and we're in the dough again. One of you fellas keep a lookout to see if there's any squabble. And then the boy, uh, a boy comes in and is del- delivering cash to one of them and says, here's that money, mister. No, they didn't ask any questions. And the dude says, Thanks. Here's four bits for your trouble. I would have done it myself if it hadn't been for my injured leg. Fingers in the next panel says, This is just the beginning. We'll milk the rich boys up here, then swing on in the banks and borrow some of their dough after I get enough cash to hire some city gunmen. So what they're doing is they're taking the bank statements and the canceled checks they're forging names on the cashier's checks that they got when they opened the account writing them for those accounts that they have stolen the statements for and then getting a third party to go get those checks cashed and bringing them the cash that's the scam next we see at the Kramer farmhouse so there we go Enza's name. Uh, she's decided she's going to stay for a little while and it's going to help Grandma and Grandpa with their business, and I guess their business being the farm, by um, handling the books for them. So she's looking at the statement. She says, it's odd. This statement is not just a day late, but it looks like it's been steamed open. I may be overly suspicious. I don't know whether to worry Gramps about this or not, but Kent slash Dr. Fate can pick up on her uh, psychic, I guess you should say, we can say, distress. And he decides he's going to go visit her, plus, he says, he gets to sample some of Granny's elderberry pie, and there's nothing better than those pies. So, Nelson jumps in his car, zooms out to the farm. When he's tooling down the road, he passes the crooks, pays them no mind, showing their disguises working, of course. Enza explains to Kent what the problem is that she has. We see Kent decked out here in a three-piece yellow suit. I just thought that was an odd color. 
Yellow comes up a little bit later here, too. He said, let's look at my ring and, and see what those crooks are doing now. And they see that there is a bank robbery going on. Kent changes to fate and and jets in front of Grandpa. Grandpa didn't see him change, but sees him jet, jump up in the air and fly off. So he's kind of freaking out here in this one panel. Fate gets to town, gets the bank robbers just as they come out of the bank, grabs them up, lifts them up in the air, uh, tells them to come forth with the info or he will drop them, which they gladly do. Come forth with the info, rather. Now here he says something that's kind of interesting, Dr. Fate does. See that you get out of this country at once. Now I know they are in the country as opposed to being in the city. But he tells them to leave the country. So that means the U.S. They, they can't be in the U.S. anymore is, is my take. Um, they, they roll over on fingers, tell Dr. Fate who it is and where it is and everything like that. But then after Fate disappears, they think, well, hey, we can tell fingers that Dr. Fate is coming. And when he beats Dr. Fate, we can still be part of everything, get our cut, and everything will still be cool. So they tell fingers that Dr. Fate is coming. No problem, he says. I've got this bottled gas. It's great for these country regions, uh, which I don't understand. It'll be even greater for us. Close all the doors and windows in the house. So fate shows up, goes inside, passes through an electrically wired window, the narrator tells us. And as he comes in, fingers is spying through a, a spy hole in the wall and throws the lever for the trap barring all the entrances, windows, doors, and releasing gas. Narrator tells us as he moves forward, this is Dr. Fate, hidden gas jets in the molding pour forth yellowish deadly fumes. And the gas, for all intents and purposes, is green in the two panels that they show it here. Dr. Fate succumbs, passes out. Inza now feels something about Dr. Fate. She gets some weird premonition. Jumps in her car, his car, Grandpa and Grandma's car. She flew in and was driving Grandma and Grandpa's car, so I think this is Kent's car. Not that it ultimately matters. She takes off in the, you know, I guess, direction that she feels this is is coming from. The bad guys, meanwhile, have taken Dr. Fate, carried him out to a car, driven to edge of death curb drop (laughs) toss him over the uh, mountain and leave and as they're going Inza passes and she overhears them she says Dr. Fate did I overhear them say the end of Dr. Fate oh and she gets uh it just says, fearing the worst, Inza stumbles to the brink of the rocky chasm. I uh, don't really know where she knew to stop exactly, but she does. Looks over, and there's Dr. Fate laying down below. And she, <laughs> I, I think she goes into what would be called histrionics here. No more to sail on adventures with him. This is Inza speaking. No more to know his mighty deeds that I shared partly with him. Oh, sob, sob. I've got to go down there. As she walks across the rocks, she sees Fate's hand tremble, the narrator tells us. He he moved. Maybe he's still alive, she says. Dr. Fate revives. 
He said, the gas choked me. Where am I? She tells him and asks him how he survived the fall. And he tells her, my body, partly composed of molecular energy, is immortal. It cannot be harmed, but my lungs, ah, those are vulnerable. That gas might have helped might have held me in a stupor indefinitely. And then she asks the next obvious question. Well, if that's the case, how are you recovering from the gas? And he tells her, the fall down those rocks, although not harming my body, forced my lungs to open and close like bellows. Pure air was forced into my lungs, and the gas was exhaled. Mmm. Okay. I... Okay. First of all, I'm kind of disappointed that he succumbed to mere gas. That's that's rather disappointing, considering everything that's at his disposal, all the powers, all the the magic. You would think that his body has changed because of this infusion of energies, and but yeah, apparently not. I I guess they're steadily working to bring him more human. Last issue, he was fighting with his fists. This issue, he's succumbing to a gas. So, Fate scoops up Inza and runs in the air. That's the the way that he's drawn in this panel. He's flying, but it looks like he's running. Sets her on the roof of the house, drops down to ground level, and busts through the wall of the house. More fisticuffs. Grabs everybody, throwing them around. Bashes a couple heads together. Knocks a couple guys out with the fist. Grabs up fingers says, we'll drop you off at the state trooper's shack on the highway. Incidentally, the money you stole from those farmers and the bank must be returned. you understand? And Fingers tells him, you'll find the money in the safe house. You can do what you want with it. I guess it's the big house for me. Fate recovers the money in, in one of those big, like, doctor bags, you know, that closes you've already seen from that time period. Gives it to Enza. Tells her to give it to her grandfather because he's a respected member of the area. Giving it back from him will will look better and it will get people to like him that much more. That night they're sitting around the table here and Grandpa says, Then this feller jumps up into the air and flies away. Honest engine. Kent says, Well, if you say so, Grandma. Gramps, imagine a man being able to do things like that. Enza replies, Yes, imagine it. And the narrator tells us here at the end, don't forget to read Dr. Fate in more fun comics. To finish up here, I uh, want to uh, recognize Michael Bradley for some infos that he sent our way. He said, I tried emailing, but they kept coming back to me. Just wanted to drop you a line to tell you I've been enjoying the Dr. Fate fan podcast. Okay. Michael, I have to admit, I did a little bit of research here. And I uh, apparently pulled one of the goober of gooberest, or gooberest of all goober things. For the last 25 plus episodes, I have given out the email wrong for my own podcast. I'm not sure how that happened. But the email is the Dr. Fate podcast, not anything else that I have said, and I'm not going to say it so there's no confusion. The Dr. Fate podcast podcast is the correct email address. Okay. Michael goes on, I like the Golden Age stories, but haven't read many Dr. Fate, so it's nice to experience them through your show. I'm also impressed by the show's brevity. Not to say a longer show would be a bad thing, but having hosted, co-hosted two podcasts, looking at Golden Age material, I know being brief about dense Golden Age storylines sometimes can be a challenge. 
and for me, honestly, the challenge is pointing out things that I think or believe are inconsistent. So I try not to do that too, too much, just throw out some of the obvious things. But yeah, a lot more so with the Golden Age stories than others. You could really, if, if you wanted to look for incongruities, you could really pick a lot and throw them out there and questions and everything. But that, to me, being that analytical about it kind of takes away the, the fun of, for me, these Golden Age stories, the, just the, the life that they seem to have of their own. Michael continues, you've wondered on the show about who colored Golden Age stories. Until the late 1940s, the comics industry didn't have artists who only colored or only lettered. Often those tasks would be handled by the artists themselves or someone in their employ. I remember reading an interview with Joe Schuster's sister years ago when she said she occasionally colored or did the lettering, I forget which now, probably lettering, on some of her brother's art. Sometimes coloring was done by the office girls, in quotes here, i.e. secretaries or people who were part of other production duties and such. Even the earliest logos were designed by the artists. That's why, for example, the first six issues of Superman all have similar but clearly different logos across the top. Schuster, or in the case of number five, possibly Wayne Boring, drew the logos themselves as part of the art until the property got so big that a consistent one was designed so it could be trademarked. Hope that helps keep up the great work, Michael. P.S. I know life sometimes gets in the way, but I hope Emerald Archer isn't completely dead. Emerald Archer is another uh, podcast that I do, that one with my youngest son, talking about DC's Green Arrow of the uh, Earth... Two's Green Arrow. Uh, no, I don't believe it's finally gone away. I think we're arranging some stuff so that we'll be able to bring that back, but I'm not 100% sure. Thank you for asking about that one. Now, Mr. Bradley should know quite a bit about Superman, about Golden Age, because I believe he formerly hosted a Superman in the Golden Age podcast. Don't hold me to that. I could be wrong, but I do know that he currently is hosting the Superman and Batman podcast, the Parallel Lines podcast, which is about the Tangent Universe, and the DC Comics Presents show, which is a podcast about that title. Those are the ones I'm familiar with. I might have missed some. If I did, I apologize. And any shows that he formerly hosted, I apologize if I was not correct with that. But I believe the Golden Golden Age Adventures of Superman was a former show. So, thank you, Mr. Bradley. I bow to your knowledge of Golden Age. Um, I'm sure it is far superior to mine as far as the comings and goings of Golden Age, the business practices of the comic industry. I certainly have not done as much research in that area as I could, and perhaps I have now been prompted to be a little bit more uh, educated on how things formerly were run in the Golden Age. All right, that's all for our thanks this episode. Next time out, we'll be discussing All-Star Squadron Volume 1, Issue 7. We'll talk to you guys again then. Ciao. 
Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0 unported license.